Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to know more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We would love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. We're in a series right now entitled People We Know. We're taking a closer look at how Jesus expects us to respond to difficult people, as well as a look at ourselves to see where our actions and habits line up with God's Word. Let's get into this week's message. Well, we're in a series we've been doing now. This is part three of a series called People We Know with a subtitle, or people we may be, right? So uh, talking about how to deal with the difficult people in our lives and the way God would actually want us to respond, not just the way you want to sometimes, right? Yeah, those of you that are packing, put that gun away. That's not what God would have you do. So how do we respond to them in a godly way, but also how can we be more godly and then not be a difficult person in somebody else's life, right? And so as we've been saying throughout the series, I just want to remind you, as you go through these four personality types, you don't get to say, hey man, that's just the way I am. No, all of these personality types are either a character flaw or at best a character weakness, and we do need to grow. We do need to change. And so we started out with the unchristian Christian. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of permission for anybody who says Jesus is their king to keep living a, a different way, right? So the unchristian Christian, and then last week we talked about the conflict avoider. How many of you had conflict last week because of what we talked about? Come on, anybody in here? Uh, a couple of you. I didn't like how you raised your hand. They're like, eh. I had conflict, but I'm not going to have it right now. Nope. And so today we are going to talk about the control freak. So come on, look. Guess what happened last Monday morning? We got lines in our parking lot. Now, if you're new to Grace Life over the last three weeks, the place where we used to be never had lines. So there are people that have been coming to Grace Life for 10 years and have never been told where to park their car. How many of you, either the lines or the parking team, frustrated you already this morning? Come on, somebody. There you go. Thank you. Got a couple of control freaks in the room. There you go. You too. I saw the look on your face. I was watching when they parked you. You were like, who do you think you are? I'm Teresa. Don't you know, I've been at Grace Life longer than the pastor. I saw that look, I did, I'm just telling you. Okay, so seriously, how many of you are, you you gotta raise your hand for one of these two, you're one or the other. How many of you are the, if you want it done right, you gotta do it yourself, right, come on. And how many of you are the, it'll be just fine, don't worry about it, come on. How many of those? All right, now raise your hand if you're married to the other one. Most of you know that my wife is from Romania. What you may not know is putting some dates together. So we got married in the mid-90s. That means that I met her right after the fall of communism. So what that means is that she grew up never having driven a car. That means that she never had a dishwasher. She never had a microwave. So there are some really funny stories I could tell you about all of those experiences because I had the great difficult, excuse me, privilege (laughs) of teaching my wife to do some of these things. And so, you know, one of the funny ones was, was teaching her how to use a dishwasher. And, and she just thought as long as it's in there, it's going to get clean. I mean, that's a dishwasher, right? If you just come to America and somebody says, look, we have a box. You put the dishes in and it just washes them. So she just starts putting things in any way she wants, however you want to do it. Like you could put a big pot on the bottom and water doesn't go to the top. So I take them all back out. And I show her how they need to go in if you actually want them clean. And she told me I was controlling 
Before we go any further this morning, we all like control. I don't want you to spend the next 30 minutes thinking about that person, the one you work with, your mom, your dad, your boss, or your neighbor, or your whatever. If you care, come on, just, just follow this. If you care, then you care about the outcome, right? Think about that. If you care about anything, the only person who doesn't desire control at some level, at some time, in some situation, is an apathetic person who can't get off the couch and get a job. I mean, seriously, let's think about it. If you care about your work, you're going to want to control something at some point. If you care about your family, you're going to get a little controlling at some point. So this message today is for anybody who cares. Because if you care at some point, you desire control. So everybody raise your hand and say, I desire control. There you go. And the one of you that didn't, well, we'll try to help you later. You need to care about something, man. So look, that doesn't mean we're all control freaks, but it does mean at times that we can try to take a little more control of a situation than we probably should. And so what we want to talk about today is why is control ungodly and why do we even need to change? So I'm going to start with a little something about the character of God. Isn't that a good place to start? You know, there is something that we know to be true about God that if you were to go and ask even an atheist or an agnostic or someone who says they would never go to church, someone who says they don't believe in God or they don't, they don't care about the Bible or whatever, they would all agree on this one phrase, God is love. Even the atheist who might say there is no God would say, well, I know this, you all think there's a God, and that God, if he existed, well, that God is love. Come on, you, we've all heard it, right? God is love. But here's the thing. The idea that God is love is not about how God feels. He doesn't just go, oh, you're so cute. No, it's not that kind of love. It's not an emotional sort of thing. It's his nature. It's his character. It's his commitment. And Scripture talks about this kind of love that is the very nature of God. Look at this on the screen here. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Watch out for this one. It does not insist on its own way. Ouch. Because here's the deal. Insisting on a particular way or outcome would be known as control. I didn't get any amens on that one. Y'all don't like where I'm going today, do you? Okay, think about this. Ingredients are everything, aren't they? I'm a bit of a picky eater, as my wife would happily tell you. I'm not controlling, I'm just a picky eater, right? There we go. And so here's the thing. There are times where something can smell okay, look a little mysterious. It's usually a Romanian dish that she's cooked up for dinner. And so I'll ask the question, what's in it? How many of you have ever asked the question, what's in it, and then you decided not to eat it after you heard one of the ingredients? Look, I'm not the only one. Praise God, I'm not the only weirdo, yeah. Yeah, I'm super picky. So it doesn't take much. Chances are any word she says is going to disqualify this thing. So, you know, onions, we're off the list. Most people put onions in stuff. They love onions. Most things that grow in gardens, pretty much going to take it off the list, right? I mean, I'm a big fan of steak and chocolate. <laughs> that's, gonna, that's, that's the food groups that you need right there. Mushrooms? Oh, no, there is no way I'm voluntarily eating fungus. I mean, we are going to stay away from that stuff. We don't do this sort of stuff. Uh, we got somebody new to our staff, and, 
And uh, about a week ago, we were doing staff lunch, and people started talking about how I eat, and she pulled out her iPhone and started taking notes. Now, what does Jimmy not do? Juice bags with seeds called tomatoes. Yes, he does not do that. He does not do squishy vegetables. Okay, so there you go. Anyway, you got the point. It doesn't take much in terms of an ingredient to make me not want to eat it. So why don't we look at the ingredients of control? Because once we know what's involved, chances are some of us are going to get a little further away from it. The first ingredient that's always involved in control is pride. Because pride says, my way is better. I know best. I know how it should be done. I know how it should turn out. And what I think about this is better than what you think about this. That's why I want you to do it my way. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad somebody is... There you go. The second ingredient that we run into with control is anxiety. I don't know if it's going to turn out like I need. I'm just a little upset about this. I wonder what's going to happen. And so when you don't know if that person is going to do what you want the way you want, if you actually can't control them in the moment and they are actually going to be in charge of what happens, you get a little bit of anxiety. And then, oh my gosh, we haven't even begun to talk about what happens if God gets involved, you know, because God often does what he wants and not exactly the way we want, right? So we we develop this anxiety over the outcome. And the last one, which surprisingly is probably the ugliest of all, is manipulation. Because once you think you know what is best, and once you begin to lose control of your emotions over how it's going to turn out, then you will do whatever it takes to manipulate people, to manipulate circumstances, anything you can do to bring your anxiety back down and to get the outcome that you think is appropriate. So what I want to show you, though, is the most famous biblical story of all time of control. And it's of a queen named Jezebel. Did anybody guess that's where I was going to go right there? So if you're new to the Bible, there is a woman in the Bible named Jezebel. She was a queen, and uh, she was so controlling that actually we still use her name thousands of years later for things that represent control and evil and so forth. And so uh, this is Queen Jezebel. If you want a little bit of a backstory, what happened is there was a, a king of God's people, king of Israel, who said, I need a wife for my son. Now, he was already an ungodly king because the first thing he did to solve this problem is do exactly what God said don't do. Because he's got an entire nation. You're the king. Anybody wants to marry the prince, the next king, right? I mean, come on, even if he's ugly, he's the king, right? I mean, you're going to get the best house, the best food, the servants. You can just not look at him straight in the eyes kind of thing, right? You know, come on, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. So he goes not to Israel, but to another nation. And he goes and he finds this young lady who does not worship God, but worships someone called Baal and says, would you be my son's wife? So he goes and he gets this non-God worshiper, which God says don't ever do, to marry a supposed God worshiper. Of course, we eventually figure out he's not real good at that, which is why it didn't really matter so much. So she comes in, and as queen, she's like, excuse me, what are all those prophets of God over there? Don't y'all know we need prophets of Baal? So I tell you what, kill them all. So that's one of the things she does in the backstory. And the good news, we're not going to get into her whole story today, but I'm going to show you just one thing she did where she showed all of these ingredients taking place somewhere in the story. So if you've got your Bibles, we're in 1 Kings 21. If not, it'll be on the screen right here. So at the very beginning of the chapter, here's what happens. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab is the king. He is the husband to Jezebel. 
And so after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen, because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Seriously, dude, it's a vegetable garden. I don't even need one. I mean, come on. It's a, and think about this. What do we, so what do we see at this point? Anxiety. He has lost complete control of his emotions. This is the king of a nation curled up in fetal position because he can't grow tomatoes within walking distance of his house. Think about it. It's funny, but how many times have you gotten so upset about something? Ah, and one of your friends goes, uh, that's probably not as big a deal as you think. Can we kind of come back down to earth? Come on, we, we've all done that. And he's all upset about, he, he cannot have his vegetable garden like right there. And the dumbest part of this is there's never a day that the king is going to go pick his own vegetables anyway. Why does he care if it's a mile down the street? The servants are the ones walking a mile. Why does he care? And he is filled with anxiety simply because he does not have control. He does not know what's going on. And you know, most of the time, our anxiety level isn't just because we're trying to control. It comes from the reality we have no control. And so we see him going into this mode where he is filled with anxiety. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I cannot get a vegetable garden right where I need it. And he knows that he's lost control. You know why he knows he's lost control? Because he actually knows Naboth is right. Even though he's not a very good godly king, he is still the king of Israel. And so he knows the rules. And the rule is God divided up the land and he gave it to families. And he said, it's not yours to give. I gave it. It belongs to the family. It's not yours to give. So Naboth just says, look, hey, I, I, I can't give it. The Lord forbid that I would give away the inheritance of my fathers. Now, sometimes we use a phrase like that. We go, well, the Lord forbid so. And, and what we mean by that is, I don't think so. But what Naboth really meant was like, no, 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 no. The Lord forbid. Like, dude, I am sorry. I'm not crossing him. I will cross the king, but I will not cross him. And, and so Naboth knows he can't do this. Ahab knows Darn it, he knows he can't do it, so oh well. And so he goes and he gets into this position where he can't function. <laughs> now the fun part of the story shows up. So, but Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke, spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. What do we see in the story now? Pride. Come on, that wasn't that hard to figure out, right? Pride. It started with, don't you govern? Come on, pride in this position. You're the king. Why in the world are you sad? You're the king. You can do anything you want. Pride in his position. He deserves it. He should have it. He can have it. And he will have it because he's the king. Pride in her plan. Check this out. She did not say, oh, honey, let me go over and talk to him. 
I make a real good batch of cookies. I think I can persuade him. I think I can change his mind. Let, let me just give it a shot. No, she said, I'll get you this vineyard. I will get you this vineyard. Now, how can she have so much pride in herself and in her plan and know that she has no... Check this out. Do you see any anxiety in her? The reason there's no anxiety for her is because her pride is off the charts. Her pride is so far off the charts, she knows she will get what she wants. She has no anxiety over how this thing's going to turn out. I'm going to get what I want. And, and you know how she can have that much pride? Because she has no boundaries. Zero. She's already killed all the prophets of God. She's already proven that she has no moral boundary. She has no ethical boundary. She has no practical boundary. What Jezebel wants, Jezebel gets. She has never felt anxiety because her pride is so far off the chart. She doesn't, doesn't even see it. She's going to get what she wants to the point that she'll bring in the third ingredient. She'll manipulate anything and anyone to make sure what she wants happens. That's where we pick up the story. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. That's kind of illegal to do, to uh, write in the king's name. You're not even supposed to come into the king's presence without you know, his approval, and then she's going to go and actually write letters <laughs> on his stationery. Are you kidding me? And she sealed them with his seal. Wow, she really went over the line. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city, and she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king, and then take him out and stone him to death. Do you see the manipulation? Manipulation of people. She manipulated the king's name. She did whatever she wanted, and then she made others do what she wanted, even if it was wrong, because they know if they don't do what she wants, it'll be their name in the next letter. Yeah, because she is willing to kill. She literally has zero boundaries. All right, look, I agree. I know what some of you are already thinking. Come on, Jimmy. Not all control is that evil. Not all control is that obvious. You're exactly right. I mean, maybe you just like things in the house done in a certain way. <laughs> Yours. That was funnier. Maybe you just like to set the agenda on a, a night out with friends so that you make sure everybody actually has fun, right? And you define fun. Uh, maybe you just like to send your spouse a helpful text with a picture of what you want for Christmas because they won't quite get it right. And after all, it is not about them giving you a gift. It is about you getting what you want. Come on, somebody Christmas, yeah? Or maybe you just like to check over a coworker or an employee's shoulders to make sure that they are getting their job right all the time and you define right, right? You haven't killed anybody yet. Maybe not quite that bad. I will admit, I'm a very controlling person. I, I've learned this about myself because I care. I care a lot. And unfortunately, I am one of those OCD people. So I, was, I spent 15 minutes in the parking lot this morning helping the parking team do it my way. You know, that kind of thing. That's just, we've got lines and we've got a plan and I've talked to the architect and everybody will park where I say. <laughs> I mean, it was just, but I was trying to be sweeter about it than that. And I've learned a lesson over time because we would go into, you know, like this, this whole people we know thing. Okay, so all I came up with was the idea, let's talk about our personality quirks and some disorders. And the creative team comes up with how to present it. And the problem is, years ago, we hired a fantastic creative director, Suzanne, wherever she is, she's way back there in the corner. So I say, hi, Suzanne, she's, she's super awesome. And uh, she's also a great graphic designer. 
And, and when I first heard her, I'd say, so hey, let's do something that kind of looks a little like this, and I'm kind of feeling some blue and some green and, and like this and whatever. And she would come back with something that looked like what I wanted, and it was pretty good. But you know what? There was no creativity. I hired a creative director to not be creative, to simply draw what I was, had in my head. But I'm not exactly a creative person. And, and so what I was doing was actually destroying creativity and fruitfulness and everything else. And I've learned, and she gives me a funny little smile, but I'll start to say, hey, why don't we do something? Never mind, I'm not going to say anything. You just go do what you think. And then we come back with these way cooler ideas. This whole video shoot that took place at Chick-fil-A, I didn't even know they were going to do a video shoot with people or at a Chick-fil-A until I saw the video too. And it turns out way better than if I had tried to say, how should we represent this? It would have never been good. One of the things we have to learn to do is just let people do it their way. And you might be surprised your way isn't the best sometimes. So look, here, here's the little caveat that I have to throw out there before some of you just go down a rabbit trail this morning. Being in a position of authority is not always controlling. You need to know that. Being in a position of, of authority is not controlling. I was joking about the parking lot. I was half controlling. But I was also not truly controlling because it's a one-way loop, and if you don't do it right, we're going to have a disaster. So it had to be done right. You know, that's just kind of how that is. And, and so, if, look, if you're hired and, and you're a supervisor and your job is to train the new people and you say, don't do it that way, do it this way, that's not controlling. It's called teaching someone to do it the right way, okay? That, that's, not, that's not controlling. Come on, raise your hand if you still live with someone called a parent. Raise your hand if you still live at home with a thing called a parent, right? There you go. All right, here's what you need to know. They're not controlling just because they make you do your homework. Just because they tell you some of the people you think you'd like to hang out with are not going to be people you hang out with and that you will be home before a certain clock hour TikTok kind of thing and that they will check your internet browsing. Yeah, they're not controlling. That's not controlling. That's parenting. It's a different ING. And if your boss says, no, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. I need you to do it again. Or no, that doesn't line up with the company values or whatever. They're not being controlling. See, the point is I want to help you this morning. I can't help you if at this point in the message you derail into any time someone says something about what you do or how you do it, you define it as controlling. It's not always. It's not. Sometimes our job is just to do what we're told the way that we're told to do it because God has given someone else the seat on the bus that decides where the bus goes. That's not controlling. And it's not controlling if you're the cook in the family and you want the kitchen done the way you want it. You do most of the cooking, it should be the way you want it. Okay, is that okay? All right, so don't get all caught up in just because somebody wants things their way, they're automatically controlling. We're all a little bit controlling at times. One of you is literally texting me a quote about control right now. That shows up on my iPad and covers my notes. All right, here we go. That person is controlling because they want me to preach whatever they just texted. I love you, brother. I do. <laughs> Look, here's the simple truth, now that I can see my notes again. I'm glad you laughed, because this next point's going to hurt. The simple truth of a person who struggles with control is you don't trust God. Or you don't trust people. You don't trust God that things are going to work out the way they need to work out. And so you try to to make sure things work out a certain way. You're not sure God will answer your prayer, so you kind of take answering the prayer into your own hands, one of those things. You, you try to control people because, well, they may not get it right, and if it is in their hands, well, 
you're not sure God will oversee them enough to, you see what I'm saying? At the end of the day, if you truly are controlling, not just a parent and not just a boss, making sure things go right, no, no, no. If you actually struggle with control, it's because you don't trust God or you don't trust people or you don't trust God to be sovereign over people. Does that make sense? So let's go back to our ingredients and let's see if we can really learn something here. So we've got three ingredients, pride, anxiety, and manipulation. So here's the deal. Pride is the cause. Pride is the cause. The reason that we want to control is because, well, there's a root cause in us that says what I want is better than what anybody else wants. My way is better than the way they would choose to do it. And while my idea of the way the universe should go, honestly, it is better than God's idea. There have been too many times I left it in his hands and I ended up disappointed. And let's all be honest. We've all been disappointed by God. The difference at that point, because I have watched people walk away from their faith simply because of one prayer that did not get answered. Or simply because of one family member that went to heaven sooner than they wanted. So let's be honest about that. At what age would you want to see anyone you loved leave? Never. So we would never, we would never be able to make things work the way they want because, well, we don't see the greater cause of the entire universe like God does. And so whatever has happened in the past, we've somehow defined, I'm not sure God will get it right. I'm not sure God will make sure my child turns out right. I can't put my child in God's hands. However the situation is, so we, we just have to decide we know better than them. And well, honestly, we'd never say it out loud, but we do think we know better than God. Then anxiety, that's the symptom. Look, you really want to know if you're a controlling person? Just judge your level of anxiety. I'm just going to be honest. I know I hurt somebody's feelings when I said that. Um, our country right now is medicated for anxiety at a rate it's never seen before. I think it has a little something to do with where the state of faith is as well. Because the quicker that we can get back to a place of recognizing God was in control of the universe long before we came along, and, and, I mean, which one of us birthed ourselves? And, and whatever the story is, however you want to, what absurd level you want to go to, to look at the fact that God has this thing under control. You see, this is why Jesus taught. It's not going to go on the screen. I just want you to listen. It was in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, look, do not be anxious about your life, because which of you, by being anxious, can even add a single hour to his life? I mean, think about it. Actually, the, the opposite is proven to be true. <laughs> if you keep being anxious, you can take an hour off your life. Stress kills fa faster than anything else. It's, it's the worst thing we can do to our bodies is maintain anxiety and stress. And, and it, it, this would be a good time to point out, we've got a very famous phrase in our world of psychology that Jesus just preached right here. He said, which of you, by anxiety, by being anxious, by worrying, can actually do anything about it? And, and so we've got this phrase that we use. It's called the illusion of control. You do know that control is an illusion, right? That's what Jesus was trying to say then. Like you really can't control that person. At some point, they will either push back or shut you off. Right now, they're just agreeing to let you have this kind of control. If not, they'll someday tell you to take this job and shove it, whatever. They, they ultimately will decide if you're in control or not. And as far as God goes, he decided when you were born, he'll decide when you're leaving, he will decide how tall you are. <laughs> Many unanswered prayers right here. When I met, <laughs> I met my wife, I sincerely prayed my legs would grow. <laughs> yep, but anyway, it didn't happen, so whatever. 
Doesn't matter. Got used to it. He says, look, consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Faith? What does faith got to do with control? Everything. Because we try to control because we have no faith in God, what he's going to do. See, it really, this whole message comes down to this. And many of you may have heard this verse before. If not, this is a great one to memorize. If you're new to faith, if you're new to following God, start here. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, there's actually a scary truth in that. When it says those who love God, what it means is those who would be identified as God's children. That would mean those who recognize that he is real. He is there. His son died for us, and we have gotten our lives right by making Jesus our king. The, the scary truth of that statement is it says, look, if, if, you're, if you're one of those people, you've got no anxiety, you've got no worry, you've got no problem because your God has this thing in your hands for your good. But if on the other hand you're not one of those people, well then you have every right to anxiety because God has not promised to be working things out for your good. So as we get to the end of the service and we invite people to make Jesus your king, I just want you to take a little bit of time and think about that. God has not promised what you read in magazines, that he's just, he's just trying to make everybody happy. No, that's nowhere in the Bible that he says he's trying to make every human happy. No, no. What he says, though, is for those who are God's people, he causes everything to work for good. But for those of us that would say, I am one of God's children, well, then everything. Even the stuff you don't like. Even the stuff you don't like. I think everyone in here, I was about to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not going to do it. But I think everyone in here, if you've lived even, I don't know, 30 plus years, probably 20 plus years, you've been through something that you absolutely wished had not gone that way, but now you're glad. Because you've seen what either changed in you or a family member or you have something you wouldn't have had the other way. I mean, you just go, you've been through something that you say, that I would not have defined as good, but it turned out for good. So we have pride as the cause, anxiety as the symptom, and we end up with manipulation as the method. See, here is the truth. We will attempt to manipulate people or circumstances, whatever it takes, just to make sure we get the things they sh that we want, right? And here's a funny thing. So I do a word search when I'm preaching on something like this. I, I, I want to see what Scripture has to say about it. And so I did a word search in the Bible of the word control. We're talking about control, right? Now, here's what's funny about this. Almost every single verse out of hundreds of Scriptures that came up were all about self-control. Isn't it funny? There is someone we're supposed to control. <laughs> you guys got that so good. I'm just going to go ahead and say amen. We're going to be done for the day. I had five more minutes of notes, and y'all just figured it all out. There is someone we're supposed to control. And it's the lie of the enemy that started way back at the very beginning that said, hey, don't take care of you. Why don't you go and do, take care of somebody else instead? Instead of controlling you, instead of making sure the one thing that God gave you to be responsible for, you, instead of making sure that turns out the way that it should, why don't you, why don't you just become proud? You're awesome. You should have it the way you want. And you go over here and you manipulate all these people and then be stressed out when they don't like what you're doing. 
That's the lie of the enemy. And God says, hey, look, those people, I got them. Your future, I've got it. You, put the Holy Spirit in you. How about we work together and you just take care of that? That's what God has to say. I can't think of any better way to close than just giving you the, one of the most beautiful illustrations in all of history anyway, and that's Jesus and what he was saying right before the cross. Check this out in Luke 22. Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. See, that's what it's all about. Because control is all about, it's got to be my way. My will, God. Answer my prayer my way. You do that my way. You do this the way out. It's all about my will. Now, I'm going to connect some dots for you because I just thought this was so cool when I discovered this this week in Scripture. Pride, anxiety, manipulation, right? Has anyone ever had the right to pride like Jesus? I'm the Son of God. I mean, come on. He could say that. No one's ever been able to say that. He's the only one that could ever stand up and say, I'm the son of God. Get away from me. I mean, seriously. He had every right to pride. Jesus was fully God, fully man. I know that's a mystery we don't have time to talk about today, but the Bible tells us that the man in him, his flesh, was so filled with anxiety that his sweat was as drops of blood. The human side of him knew what it felt like to face something he didn't want to go through. Every right to pride, his flesh is experiencing all these emotions, and he had every ability to manipulate. He was the one that said, you don't think I, listen man, I could call down 12 legions of angels right now and put this to an end. My father would answer me. He had every right I believe he experienced anxiety and he could have manipulated like no one in history. And what did he do? Put those aside and said, God, no, I'm here for you. Not my will, but yours be done. The best advice that I can give us here today, if you really want to get control out of your life, make that your life verse. Go home and write it on a mirror, write it on a refrigerator, put it in your car somewhere, and just every moment that you begin to get anxious, every moment that you begin to, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Let God be God. Now, earlier I was just talking about the promise that God will make everything turn out for good is for those who are God's children, for those who would say they love him. If you have never made Jesus your king, if you can't say right now, I'm included in that group of people, I want to help you do that, but I'm not gonna embarrass you or ask you to come down front or raise a hand, just right where you're seated. We're just gonna have a conversation. We're gonna have a little prayer. I'm gonna lead you in a conversation where you can have the opportunity, if you would like, to change that. Where you can say, Jesus, I'm so grateful you died for me. Now I want to live for you. Would you all join me right where you're seated? Let's pray. Pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now 
I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. I thank you that your promise is to work everything in my life for good. And so my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a great life with great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.